Out of 4,000 questions we've received at Christian Thinker Society, people are always shocked to hear what the number one most asked question is. Can you make any guesses? The number one question that we've been asked are issues around suicide and mental illness. That's right, suicide. I think it's the most asked question because it's so rarely addressed. I mean, think about it. When was the last time that you personally heard a sermon series on mental illness or suicide? And yet Christian psychiatrists will tell you that 48% of adults will have a direct experience with mental illness themselves sometime during their lifetime. No one is immune from mental illness, not even our pastors. Recent LifeWay research study found that 25% of our pastors are struggling with mental illness. Suicide, even among Christians, is an epidemic. Do you realize we are far more dangerous to ourselves than to others? More people kill themselves than kill one another each year. In fact, there are twice as many suicides as murders. Think about it. Our church families are incredible when someone gets physically sick or a family suffers from an accident or some kind of serious illness. Schedules are created where hurting people are never left alone. Meals are brought over. Pastors make visits. There are prayer chains, except when someone is suffering from a mental, psychological illness. We isolate people because we simply don't know what to do or say. As a church, we can do better. Statistics show us that nearly every family in your church is struggling with some type of mental illness. How do we respond? How do we intervene? How can we help? How do we even begin the conversation? How do we respond to the invisible diseases? She calls it her invisible disease, her invisible handicap. Why? Because mental illness is real, constantly holding her back, weighing her down, obliterating her self-esteem. But the problem is, she says, no one else can see this disease that's so real to her. My friend Anna is 22 years of age. She's one of the most courageous people I know. She spent half her life struggling with mental illness and is now speaking out about it courageously and boldly. Anna's story is mirrored by so many people in our churches who are struggling silently, dying on the inside from these invisible diseases. Now, Anna doesn't fit that typical stereotype of what one struggling with a mental illness is supposed to look like. Anna comes from a wonderful Christian home. Her parents and four siblings are committed followers of Jesus. They're active in their local church. They serve in their community. Anna is talented, articulate. And from the outside, you would never guess that she struggled with any of these invisible diseases. It all began for Anna when she was diagnosed with juvenile type 1 diabetes. That diagnosis spiraled Anna into years of full-on anxiety and depression and ultimately a debilitating eating disorder. You know, it might surprise you to learn that research shows that eating disorders are the most fatal of all the mental illnesses. Anna says, I never realized I was depressed. I never even thought about depression, probably because no one ever talked about it. 
Her mental illness caused her to feel like she had no control over her own body. She would force herself to look at her body in the mirror, which caused her to cry and become even angry with God. How could he curse me with this dysfunctional, disgusting body? Anna said that going to church only made things worse. When the congregation stood to sing, she was so embarrassed by her body, she couldn't even worship. She didn't want anyone else to see her. Anna even refused to take communion, counting every single calorie. Her mental illness made her feel like such a failure as a Christian. Anna makes a key statement, quote, no one ever talked to me about my mental illness. None of my teachers, no sermons from my pastors or my youth group leaders, and my parents never talked with me about it. Anna's eating disorder and all the associated depression and anxiety had consumed her every thought, and as she said, quote, taken everything from me. In her own words, Anna says, I lost connection with all of my friends. I pushed everyone away, broke up with my boyfriend, even lost faith in God, and I was taken away from a job that I loved. I had prayed to God for help, but felt like he hadn't heard me. I never got better, no matter how hard I prayed. I was sick of praying about it. An intervention by her parents and psychiatrists saved Anna's life. Being treated in an inpatient treatment center began her road to recovery, healing, as she says, from the inside out. Once my brain was properly nourished, I realized that it was not my fault. My anxiety, depression, mental illness, and eating disorder did not make me a bad person or a failure as a Christian. I had a medical condition and I needed professional help. Now here's the launch point for this session. Anna says, quote, I can't help but wonder if I had learned about depression, anxiety, and mental disorders growing up, maybe I would have seen red flags sooner and asked for help. But how could I see help for a problem I didn't even know I had? Which leads us right to point number one of our session. Number one, as a church, as a body of believers, as Christians, as a community of faith, we have to stop the silence about mental illness. The number one problem in our churches related to matters of mental health and mental disorders is silence, saying nothing. Mental illness is widespread and it affects everyone in the church, listen to me, whether we admit it or not. Did you know one out of four people suffer from mental illnesses? That's right, one out of four. We have this elephant in the room called mental illness. It fills our churches each and every week, yet no one feels comfortable discussing it. The ministry of Jesus, though, focused on removing barriers to belief and restoring people who were suffering. That was his calling. Mark 2.17, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come not to call those who think they're righteous, but those who think they're sinners. I like what Ed Stetzer recently said, quote, we need to stop whispering in our churches about mental illness. We have to remove the stigma associated with mental illness as Christians. A recent LifeWay research study found that 66% of pastors rarely or never address the subject of mental illness from their pulpits, 66%. And the same survey revealed the majority of churchgoers wish that their pastors would talk about mental illness from the pulpit. They don't want it to be a taboo subject any longer. Did you know that the Bible has a lot to say about mental health, right thinking, training our minds, loving God with our minds? 
In response to the expert in the law who asked Jesus which of the commandments were the greatest, do you remember what Jesus replied in that wonderful passage, Matthew 22, 37? And he said, you shall what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and thirdly what? With all your mind. What is lost in that passage is the commandment to love God with our minds, with our intellect, with our thinking. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, of cowardice to run away, but a spirit of power, love, and of a sound mind. I love Isaiah 26.3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Peter actually quotes Psalm 55, 22, when he says in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting, we are to continually throw our burdens, cares, anxieties on the Lord because he cares for us. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Here's the stark reality. According to the latest studies, 48%, almost half of the world's population, will have a direct experience with mental illness themselves over the course of their lifetime. 10% of our young people are experiencing chronic depression right now. And one in 20 Americans live with a serious mental illness such as bipolar, schizophrenia, PTSD, or major chronic depression. These are massive segments of our population. And in my experience as a pastor and professor, no one is immune from mental illness. If we're not personally afflicted by mental illness, we might be affected by it from friends or a spouse, a family member or a coworker. So number one, we have to stop the silence. Number two, we have to stop the shame and exclusion. I'm talking about inside our churches. I had the privilege to pastor for over a decade. I will never forget the time I was meeting as a pastor with a family who told me that they had just joined our church because their previous church had in fact asked them to leave because of a family member with a mental illness. Instead of integrating and assimilating the person struggling with a mental illness, we segregate and exclude our parishioners. I mean, can you imagine as a local church asking a family to leave because somebody's struggling with a mental illness? We don't mean to do it, but we shame them. You know what's so wrong about shame with our churches? We never see this in the ministry of Jesus. Now, my expertise and scholarship is in the Gospels, Jesus, the resurrection, and I can tell you as a Bible scholar, I don't ever see Jesus banishing a hurting person ever in his ministry, do you? Mental illness is so isolating. Those suffering from mental illness, they feel cut off. And guess what? If they feel cut off from the church community, who else do you think they're gonna feel cut off from? God. People with sick brains cannot simply be fixed at the altar by a passionate prayer or some anointing oil. Does God heal? Absolutely. Does he work miracles? Of course he does. But just like we have those struggling with physical problems in our churches, there are those who struggle with mental, emotional problems and anxieties. They didn't get into their problems overnight, and they're not going to get out of their problems overnight. We have to stop shaming those in our churches with mental illness. God has not given us a spirit to run away of fear, of cowardice. He's given us the Holy Spirit, which gives us God's power to train ourselves to think rightly, to love, and to have self-control. And that should be our attitude with anyone in our church struggling and everyone in our church struggling with mental illness. Jesus' ministry was all about healing broken people. And that's the task that he gave to the church, heal broken people. 
Let's decide together, stop the shame, stop the silence, stop the exclusion. And then thirdly, as a church community, we need to understand mental illness and we need to be present. One of the most attractive aspects of the church is this factor that we have of community. The wonderful reality of the church is that we believe together. This is that communion ceremony. It's not individual, it's collective. We grow together, we have faith together, we hurt together, and yes, we suffer together. Mental illness happens not just to that person or family who's struggling, mental illness happens to the entire body. Jesus did not say, upon this strong Christian who reads his Bible every day, the gates of hell will not prevail against him. No, the verse doesn't read that way. In Matthew 16, 18, in response to Peter's declaration of a Jesus-centric faith, he said, upon that truth, this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is the ark of safety. We begin to understand mental illness by properly defining it. You know, most people don't even know how to define mental illness. Mental illness is defined as a physical dysfunction of the brain that causes the inability to think or feel or act in a person's normal manner. The facts are that mental illness is a physical bodily dysfunction that guess what, it can kill you, it can disable you, and it can certainly shorten your lifespan if left untreated. In 2012, the World Health Organization reported that depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide. This week in your personal time and your Bible study, you're going to explore the epidemic of suicide in our church and in our society. Did you know worldwide over a million people take their lives each year? An almost incomprehensible number, a million people. Every 15 minutes, someone commits suicide in the United States. More United States citizens kill themselves than kill one another each year. In fact, there are twice as many suicides as murders annually in the United States. Do you realize that we are far more dangerous to ourselves than to others? People who die by suicide exponentially leave their family members and friends in a state of utter emotional and spiritual shock. We have to stop the trite comments about mental illness and suicide. Oh, you just need more power, or come on, you just need to perk up, or you just need more faith. As leaders and as concerned churchgoers, as loving family members, we need to understand mental illness more clearly. Mental disorder is a physical problem. It's not a matter of willpower. Just as you do not get out of bed and say, today my cholesterol will be lower, and you pronounce it, You can't just declare your mental illness away. There is a treatment procedure just like there is when you lower your cholesterol. So not only do we need to understand mental illness and be present and show up, fourthly, the church needs to be part of the equation treating mental illness. We need to get in the game. Let's personalize this. You need to become sensitive to the person you know right now who's struggling with mental illness. I was watching a TED Talk recently, and I heard something I'd never quite thought of. Why is it that diseases and injuries of every part of your body, except the brain, elicit compassion from our friends and loved ones? I mean, think about this. Our church families are incredible when someone gets sick or a family suffers an accident or some form of an illness. I mean, Sunday school classes and Bible studies create schedules and where the hurting person, they're never left alone, meals are brought over, pastors make home visits, except when someone is suffering in their mind or in their brain. We isolate people because we just don't know what to do or say. 
You know, there's some exceptionally helpful support groups and organizations dedicated to helping people with mental illness, but did you know most of them are not Christian organizations? Why is it that the church has fallen so far behind in supporting and treating uh, and being part of the healing equation for mental illness? Dr. Daniel Moorhead is a Christian psychiatrist examining the clinical side of the brain, and he makes a very strong point that brings healing, and many of you need to hear this right now. This Christian psychiatrist says mental illness is nobody's fault. I want to say that one more time. Mental illness is nobody's fault. You need to let that sink in. Parents are not at fault and patients are not to blame. Mental illness is not a spiritual problem. You do not have a mental illness because you lack enough faith. Just believing more does not cure mental illness. Mental illness is treatable and there needs to be a treatment plan. Back to our friend Anna. Through therapy and recovery, she learned that mental illness does not make her a failure as a person or a Christian. Anna's learned that recovery from an eating disorder, anxiety, depression, it's a long-term battle. There's no silver bullet. She even admits it this way, quote, many days I do not feel like fighting my disordered thoughts. It's exhausting, but I know God loved me enough to send his son to, to die for me. Remembering this helps me want to love myself, Anna says. If I can't do it for me, I can do it for him. One of the most transparent and courageous statements that Anna has made is this. Opening up and sharing about my mental illnesses has become such a huge part of my recovery. Hiding my depression, anxiety, and eating disorder gave these illnesses so much power over me. I am no longer a slave to my eating disorder, and with God's strength, I can walk upright and be free. What a courageous statement. So what are some immediate ways that we as a church community can be proactive and be part of the healing solution? Here's this healing equation. Number one, we need to admit every family struggles. We're all broken. We're all messed up. We need to reach out to one another and begin an honest conversation and dialogue. We need to change our thinking as a church community and get rid of the stigma. The second part of the equation is this. We need to make a commitment to love instead of judge, condemn, and misunderstand. I think one of the funny observations I learned very early on in my ministry is that Christians, they don't gossip, they just share prayer requests. One of the reasons that we do not discuss mental illnesses, these invisible diseases, is because in the church, people are afraid that they're gonna be gossiped about, ostracized. We've lost our first love. John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have a love for one another. The third part of the healing equation would be to build support groups for every age level in our church for addressing mental disorders. Mental illness does not separate people from the love of God, and so it shouldn't separate us from the church. The principle I learned from Anna was that one of the most helpful things in her recovery is surrounding those who are struggling with positive, supportive people who discuss the mental illness, not ignoring its existence. Having that community is a major part of the treatment process. Which leaves us finally to the fourth part of our equation. We can encourage the mentally ill in our church communities to serve. Most people struggling with a mental illness are extremely witty, well-humored, and highly intelligent. It is an often overlooked fact that some of the greatest Christians of all time have had lifelong struggles with depression, even thoughts of suicide, and struggled with all the invisible diseases. 
When my wife and I lived in Oxford, the encouragement of my friend Michael, we traveled about an hour outside of Oxford near Milton Keys to the little town known as Olney. Even though it's just a little speck on the map, Olney is a place we should have all heard of because it's right there in that location that John Newton, the local pastor, preparing for a Bible study on New Year's Day, the year 1773, wrote perhaps the most famous song of all time, Amazing Grace. What a Bible study that would have been to be part of. Amazing Grace was published a few years later in the now famous book known as The Only Hymns. But many are not aware that that hymn book actually had a co-author, John Newton's dear friend, William Cooper. William Cooper himself wrote nearly 70 of the 300 or so hymns in the Only Hymn Manual. You've no doubt sung William Cooper's hymns without even knowing it. You sung There is a Fountain Filled with Blood, or another beloved Cooper hymn, Oh, for a Closer Walk with God. Aside from being John Newton's best friend, William Cooper is remembered as one of the great poets of the 18th century. Even Benjamin Franklin cherished Cooper's book of poems. A window at the great Westminster Abbey honors William Cooper. But did you know that Cooper struggled with paralyzing depression his entire life? He attempted suicide numerous times. His depression was chronic. Before meeting John Newton, Cooper spent years at St. Albans Insane Asylum before relocating to Olney, where he would meet his best friend, John Newton. The local pastor, John Newton, was there, and he decided to make a home visit on William Cooper, and they became friends. No mental illness touches us all. We can learn from the example of John Newton, who rescued his friend by simply being there, supporting him, showing up, loving him in his mental illness, and then did what? put him to work, told him to come write some hymns with him. I mean, can you imagine the wisdom in that? William Cooper is in despair. He's tried to kill himself numerous times. And his friend John Newton says, hey, let's write some hymns together. He got William Cooper serving. As we close this session today, where do you find yourself in the story? Perhaps you are a John Newton. You have a friend or a family member. You need to go be a John Newton to that person. Love them, stand with them, serve with them. You know, also our church is filled with William Coopers, talented people struggling with mental illness. Let's show up, let's start the conversation and provide the support and stop the silence and shame.